0: So the question for this morning is this, what does God find irresistible? What circumstances or qualities does God find so attractive, so compelling, that he just can't help himself? Can't help himself, but stepping in and blessing with his presence. And maybe more important for us today, this morning, is to consider, is it possible for us to cultivate a life that's irresistible to God? so that he moves in us and moves through us in a way to love people and build his kingdom. I know there's some things that are irresistible to me. There's some circumstances irresistible. When I see kids playing with a ball, I have to step in. Whether they're throwing it or kicking it or running with it, I'm in. And it embarrasses my kids to death. In fact, there's other experiences, too, where when I see someone who's lonely, or someone who's lost, there's something in me that compels me to go try to help them, try to serve them. I figure a lonely person, or a a lost person, all they need is a little direction, and I'm the one to give it to them. Lonely person, just maybe they're afraid to break the ice. Maybe they just need someone to initiate contact with them, and then someone just to hang out with them, be with them a little bit. I I feel so attracted to someone who's lonely because I know how easy it is to break their loneliness, to step in, and help them out. Because it's no fun to be lonely. There are other circumstances that I'm compelled to step into as well. Again, much to the chagrin of my kids. In fact, I've heard on more than one occasion, please, Dad, don't embarrass us. Just, can't we ignore people like everybody else, right? I usually embarrass them instead. But the truth of the matter is, there are circumstances that you find irresistible. Qualities that you find so compelling that you can't help but Be attracted to or step in yourself. We're going to discuss them in our community groups later on this week. It's going to be fun. We're going to kind of compare notes to find out what you find irresistible. But again, the morning's question is, what does God find irresistible? What qualities, what practices or circumstances are so irresistible to him that he's got to step in and bless with his presence? And how do we cultivate a life that draws on this presence more and more? That's the question. And In fact, for the sake of time, we're just going to dive right in. Because I've found a couple, there's no book, right? there's no list, there's no study on this. We're just going to take what we know from God's Word and what we have know from our own lives, God's involvement with us, and we're going to come up with a couple, three or four this morning, and just talk about what's irresistible to God. Sound good? So let's dive into Scripture. Second Chronicles 16.9 says this about God. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. God is looking across the whole earth for people who are committed to Him, people who want to grow, people who are hungry for more of Him. The Scripture tells us that God is irresistibly drawn to people who have a spiritual hunger, who have a thirst, who have a passion for more. See, He's actively looking for people who have this spiritual hunger so He can strengthen their hearts and build their confidence and grow their faith. In fact, that's why, that's why God was so pleased and present with David, whether he was a shepherd boy or a king, because he was always passionate for more of God. He was a worshipper. He was a, God, a man after God's own heart, and he was always hungry for more of God, more of His spirit, more of His presence. Psalm 42. David writes this: As the deer as the deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul pants for You, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Sounds like someone who's hungry for more of God. The chance to spend more time with him, to become more like him. I I don't know if you've noticed, but growing things are always hungry. Have you noticed? Whether it's a newborn puppy or a teenager in your house, growing things are always hungry. I know. I've had both at the same time. I've had a golden retriever puppy and a growing teenage boy. No food in the house ever. Why? Because they're always hungry. Growing things are always hungry. It's the same with people who are hungry for their relationship with God. Hungry for more of God. More time with Him. More of the Word. More of His Spirit. More time in worship and prayer. Just time for a little self-exam. How about you? Does this describe you? This hunger? This passion for more of God? Is that you? If not... it Maybe it's been a while. Maybe your lack of spiritual hunger might be the best indication that it's been a while since you've grown. Because it's time to grow. And growing things, they're always hungry. I often talk with folks who lament that they want to grow But they feel stunted, they feel stifled, they feel stopped because they have this battle going on inside them. It's a battle between the spirit and the flesh, between their old nature and the new nature, between pleasing God and living selfishly. And they want to know how can they grow out of some of their old bad habits and grow into some new God-pleasing actions and attitudes. How can they grow the spiritual nature while not growing the sinful nature, the old nature that battles within them? And I answer them with a principle that you all understand. The one that you feed the most will grow. You intentionally feed the nature you want to grow, and this battle inside you goes away. You intentionally feed yourself on the truth of God's Word, and your mind gets renewed. You have an ongoing conversation with the Father through prayer, and your relationship with Him will strengthen and deepen, and you'll start to know His heart. You'll start to know His will in a given situation. You'll start focusing on knowing Him and pleasing Him instead of trying hard to not sin. And that never works. So you feed the spirit and the selfish, sinful nature is overwhelmed. Because God's faithful. God is faithful and He will will overwhelm the flesh because He's looking throughout the earth to strongly support people who want to grow, who have a passion for more, whose hearts are fully committed to Him. He finds your spiritual hunger irresistible. It's not the only quality. The truth is there's another quality that God finds irresistible. You know what it is? It's compassion. It's compassion. Compassion is the heart of God. I think the best definition for compassion is seeing people as God sees them. See, when you see what God sees, when you see the hurt and confusion and just how lost and needy people are, God is drawn. He's drawn to you, moving through you, To love people with compassion, the compassion of Jesus, so he can show his heart to the very people he loves. Just look at Jesus. Jesus was always drawn to needy people. The hurting, broken, and marginalized people around him. The sick, the lame, and lonely, those who could not help themselves. The leper and the prostitute, those who were condemned and rejected by society around them. Jesus didn't just minister to them. He didn't just minister. He loved them. He spent time with them. He befriended them, so much so that he was accused of being a sinner and a reject himself, just like the people he hung around with. See, God is drawn to those in society, those in society who they are deemed dispensable and not worthy of our time or our energy or our love. But we know better. We know better because we know that everyone's made in the image of God, so they have tremendous value and worth. We know better because we can see with the eyes of Jesus. We see that, that they have value, they have worth. We, we can see them because we have Jesus' spirit inside us. So we see what the rest of the society does not see. Scripture tells us that when Jesus went through the, all the towns and villages, preaching and teaching, it says he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. You know why? Because he saw them as they were, as harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. See, that's the truth about people. They might put up a good front, but when you get to know people, when you look inside, people are pretty desperate. They're in pretty desperate shape, and they need someone to see them as they are, the way Jesus sees them, and love them with the same compassion that He provides. Here's the truth about just about everybody you're going to lock eyes with today and this week people are lonely, people are guilty. People are spiritually empty and people are afraid to die. And they need someone with the Spirit of God living in them to see them and reach out to them with compassion. The first step, though, is to see them. Most of the times we don't even see them. In fact, Pastor Steve preached on this a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you remember. He was the one who said, he challenged us to see the people with needs all around us. And he asked this question He said, Who is your Lazarus? You remember this? He preached from Luke 16. That, that, that well-known passage where the rich man passed his beggar named Lazarus at, Lazarus at his front gate every day and yet paid no attention to him. When God had placed the beggar in this exact location so the rich man would reach out to him with love and compassion, with the heart of God. You remember this? And we were challenged to see, to look for our Lazarus. Well, the day after that, I'm in downtown Fairfield and I'm going into Dunkin' Donuts near the circle. And I'm I'm popping in there because it's a freezing cold day. I'm going in to get a cup of coffee to warm up. So I stroll in there, and I'm going to use the the men's room first to warm my hands. And I I see this guy sitting at the table. He's got no coffee. He's got no food. But he is slumped over, kind of in a ball, just sitting right there in the dining area. So didn't think much of it. Go use the restroom. Come back out, get my coffee line. I remember looking over my shoulder, and the guy has gone. Bought my coffee, thanked the server, headed outside. Leaning against the building, just outside the, the gate, just outside the door, is this slumped over guy from inside. So I, And he looks right at me. So I look right at him. And my heart kind of was touched a little bit. And I said, uh, you okay? Everything all right? And he says, she's looking for a blessing. And I said, all right, this is awesome. I said, this is great. I said, I'm going to pray for you. So I put my coffee down. And as I put my coffee down, he's saying, kind of rather disappointedly, I was really looking for bus fare. So start, trying to stay undeterred, I said, okay. I said, no problem. You let me pray for you. We'll take care of that bus fare. Right? I said, give me your hands, I'm going to pray for you. And he goes, don't hurt me, don't hurt me. And so I, I was kind of taken aback, I was like, I'm not going to hurt you. And then he goes, my hands, they're kind of broken up from the cold, they're kind of hurting me. He goes, it's cold out here, man, it's cold. I looked at his hands, they were twice the size, because they were so swollen. So I said, how long have you been out here anyway? He says, about 160 days. He says, I sleep right over there. And he points to the dumpster between Dunkin' Donuts and Duchess. And he goes, "Uh, you know, people don't know how cold it is here, how hard it is on a person. All I know is my heart was starting to soften towards this old guy. And so I said, well, let me pray for you. What's your name? He says, Antonio. I said, I take Antonio's swollen hands real gently into mine right there in front of Dunkin' Donuts, I just prayed this real simple prayer of hope and blessing on my new friend. And I say amen, and, and Tony picks up his head and he goes, you a preacher? <laughs> That's not a good sign, by the way, if you pray like a preacher. I said something like that. I said, say, so, hey, w- where are you going on the bus anyway? He says, well, I'm hoping to get to New Haven. Got some family up there I haven't seen in a long time. So I said, okay. So I'm thinking... Taking a bus to New Haven, I'm not sure there's a bus that goes to New Haven from the Circle in Fairfield. So I pick up my coffee and I say, "Hey Antonio, come with me." He says, "Where are we going?" I said, "Well, you're going to New Haven." And I'm thinking, I'm going to take him to the train station. I know a train will get there. So I said, "Follow me." So he's kind of following. God has such a sense of humor. I parked right where this guy has slept for the last 160 days, right near the dumpster. So hey, hop in, Antonio. He hops in, takes a deep breath, and he goes. Man, it smells good in here. He said, it smells like God in here. I said, it should. He's in here. I also realized this was spoken by a guy who slept by a dumpster for the last 160 days. But I'm still feeling pretty good about my car and my smell, and, uh, and we take off, right? So we head to the train station in downtown Fairfield. On the ride, Antonio, he tells me his life story. He tells me the ups and the downs, most of the downs, He tells me how hard it's been on him the last 10 years. He tells me how lonely he is. He tells me how invisible he feels. And then the truth is, he gets kind of emotional. And he goes, I have a soul, you know. I have a soul. Just like that. And I said, I know. I saw you. God showed me you have a soul. That's why I saw you. And then he got real quiet, and so did I. For another minute or two, right there on the post road, kind of making it down to the train station, we sat silence. As we as we near the train station, he got real quiet, real childlike, and he said, "Hey, you're gonna you're gonna help me, right? You're gonna show me where to go. You're gonna show me what to do. You're gonna help me, right? Just like that." And I said, "Of course, of course. I'm gonna get you on that train to New Haven. We're gonna get you. You're gonna be all set." So I parked the car. We pray again. I give him some money for his trip, walk him up, show him where to stand on the platform. He gets on the next train to New Haven. I just remember driving away saying, thank you, God. Thank you that I saw what you saw. It wasn't me. It was God giving me the eyes of Jesus to see this broken down guy and reach out to him with a little bit of love, right? Someone's been beaten up by life, and I got to love on him. It was such a blessing. It was such a privilege for me. You know, I realize it was someone who's harassed and helpless. Someone just looking for a blessing. Someone with a soul. Someone who's actually afraid of getting hurt, but just wants to, someone to show them like where to go, what to do. Just someone who's willing to help them just a, a little bit. God's Spirit finds those kind of situations irresistible. And you do not want to miss an opportunity like this. God does not want you to miss an opportunity like this. So am I saying that every person you meet or every opportunity like this, everyone that you walk by you need to show compassion to? Well, let me answer it this way. Show me one person that Jesus didn't die for, didn't shed his blood for, and then go ahead, you walk on by. You can talk yourself out of it. But until then, I would just ask, hey, doesn't doesn't the sick person need prayer? And doesn't the stranded person need help? And doesn't the lonely person need a friend? Doesn't the outsider need to be invited in? Doesn't the empty person need to be filled? Doesn't the wounded person need to be healed? Doesn't the person in bondage need freedom? Doesn't the sinner need to be introduced to the Savior? Who better than you? Who better than you and me? People with the Spirit of God living in us, who can see them, see their value and worth, can see them with the heart of Jesus and have compassion on them. Because we have the love of God in us, the compassion of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit available to us. Who better than you and me? I was waiting for an amen or something there. Come on. All right. Thank you. Come on. We're in our home court. You've got to give me something here. You know what happens? If you step in with compassion, I can guarantee you, God's going to show up. Because you're afraid God's not going to show up. I guarantee you He'll show up. I guarantee His Spirit will show up and He'll tell you what to say and show you what to do. You know how I know? You bring Him with you. He's the one living inside you. Ever since you started to follow Jesus, that's the Spirit placed in you. He's dying to get out through your hands, through your words, through your touch. You just got to let Him out. You do not want to miss an opportunity like this. Because God's Spirit finds these kind of situations, these kind of opportunities, irresistible. So perhaps the ultimate quality that God finds irresistible is what the Bible describes as faith. Hebrews 11.1 defines faith as being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is trusting God in His Word, even when your own logic and reasoning don't square up. And yet you trust Him. You choose to believe Him rather than leaning on your own understanding. Faith is agreeing with God even when it might make you look foolish. That's faith. Jesus loved when he saw faith demonstrated. Whether it was a bleeding woman who was looking to be healed, or a Roman centurion centurion approaching Jesus on behalf of a servant, or the only one of ten lepers returning to thank him, Jesus was genuinely thrilled when he saw faith in the hearts of people around him. Faith stirs the heart of God like nothing else. In fact, Scripture tells us that. In Hebrews 11:6 it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Did you hear that? Without faith, it's impossible to even please God. That gives us some idea of how important, how attractive faith is, our faith is, to God. When he sees it, he's so pleased, he's so thrilled, of course he's going to show up. Of course he's going to be there when you step in. The Apostle Paul made a startling statement to the church in Galatia. And the church was hung up on performance, like they had to perform well to earn God's approval, to please God, keeping the law, obeying Old Testament practices, being very religious, very legalistic. Paul sets them straight with as blunt a statement as he could craft to show them the contrast between their performance versus how God viewed faith demonstrated. Paul writes in Galatians 5:6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And that's the primary way faith is demonstrated. By choosing to obey God, to trust God and love when you don't think, deem it appropriate. Perhaps the most challenging test of faith is when God asks us to love a person when our natural instinct is to hate or ignore or avoid. In fact, Jesus issues just such a test in Luke 6:27 and following. Let me read on behalf of Jesus. Luke 6:27, Jesus speaking. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what, what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. The Greek term that I highlighted here in that second slide is translated credit three times in this passage. But it's translated 110 times as grace. In the rest of the New Testament. It's normally translated grace, the favor of God. See, when you love people who don't love you, when you love people who hate you, grace is extended to you to do what you could not do in your own power. God says, love your enemies. You say, I can't do that. He says, do it. And you obey. Grace is given to you to do what you could not do one minute or earlier. Credit, grace, is extended to you so you can love, you can give back something that was never given to you. When you love those who don't love you, you demonstrate that you have a source. You have a source of love that they know nothing about. When you love those who don't love you, others recognize it can't be you. That's the point. They recognize it's the power inside you, the power of God in you. It's because you're connected to a source. It must be the source of love in you. They recognize that. It's the grace extended to you because of your faith. See, when I give something back that you never gave me, I prove that I have a source. I'm connected to a source of love. It's the one who lives inside me. It's the Spirit of God in me. When I love those who hate me, God gives me grace. He gives me credit to do what I could not do on my own because God finds this kind of love irresistible. I mean, think of it. When you love someone, who, when I love someone who loves me, all I'm doing is reciprocating. Anyone can reciprocate the love that's given to them. But the Bible does not say, rise and reflect that love that's given to you. The Bible says, arise and shine. I'm not giving back what you gave me. I'm not reflecting back love that you gave me. I'm giving you love from a source that you didn't have, didn't have to give me in the first place. I'm giving you love from inside me that God supplies. You didn't give it to me. I don't need you. I've got a source. It's the spirit inside me. God gives me credit, grace, when I'll do what he asks me to do. When I say I can't do it, but I do it anyway, out of obedience, he gives me credit, grace, to do it. At that very moment, my source is the one who lives in me. It's the power of God inside me. It's the love he supplies me with. It's the love he wants you to give away. You don't have it now, but he'll give it to you. You just obey. You step in. He'll give it to you. He extends grace to me, credit, when I demonstrate faith by loving those who do not love me back. Obeying God and loving those who don't love me is the epitome. It's the definition of faith expressing itself through love. God finds this faith irresistible. I have one more definition for faith. It's not in Scripture. It should be. Let me share it with you. Faith is the result of caring more than others think is wise, risking more than others think is safe, dreaming more than others think is practical, and expecting more than others think is possible. Some of you should put that on a mirror or a fridge somewhere. Let me read it for you one more time. Faith is the result of caring more than others think is wise, risking more than others think is safe, dreaming more than others think is practical and expecting more than others think is possible. You and I, we can cultivate a life that God finds irresistible. I know we can. When we're hungry for more of him, more of his presence, more of his spirit, more of his word, he's looking throughout the earth to fully support those who want more of him, who are committed to him. God said he is present when we demonstrate the compassion of Jesus to people who are hurting. When we see people as Jesus sees people and we reach out, we recognize they're harassed and helpless. And we reach out with the compassion that he provides, the love of the Savior. And we're most like our Father in heaven when we choose to love and demonstrate that we're connected to a source of love and love those who don't love us back. See, God chooses to build his kingdom through people who know who they are and what they were created for and then walk in love as Jesus did. He finds that kind of life irresistible. God's power and presence is drawn to that kind of life that demonstrates a hunger for more of God, a compassion for the people he loves, and a faith that's expressing itself through love. It's the life that you and I were created for. It's the life we were made for. And God finds that kind of life irresistible. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? So before we pray, I'm just going to remind you that we're going to have a prayer team down here. And here's why we're here. Because some of us recognize, man, my hunger for God has grown cold. I need to be stirred up a little bit. We'll pray that for you. Some of you recognize that you don't see anybody. You're kind of about your business. You don't see anybody with compassion. Forget it. You're busy doing your thing. Maybe your heart of compassion needs to be stretched and expanded. Let us pray that for you. And then there's some of us that to think that we'd love someone that doesn't love us back, that's insane. We want to pray that you would you would have the faith to trust God and that faith would express itself in love by obeying what He calls us to do. We'll pray that for you. We'd love it. It'll be great. You'll leave here changed and then we'll watch what God does through you. Sound good? Let me pray. So Father in heaven, you're the one who supplies you're our source. You're the one that gives us a hunger. You're the one that gives us a compassion. You're the one that gives us a faith and a love for people. So, God, we just pray, give it to us. We want it. We want to demonstrate a life that's rightly related to you. We want to demonstrate a life that's irresistible to you and powerful in the lives of our families and our neighbors and our communities, our schools. We say, have your way with us, God. That's, we want that. We recognize we were made for this. Would you come and do your work in us so you would do some awesome work through us? And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And all God's people said...